I'm Dr. Janelle Anderson, former college professor turned manager in a large corporation turned entrepreneur. And not just any entrepreneur. I've made it my life's work to make organizational life more effective and fulfilling. So welcome to Working Conversations, the podcast where we digest and translate research and ideas on workplace dynamics and serve up to you the most interesting and actionable strategies to make your workplace conversations and your relationships more effective, productive, and influential. If you're looking for proven tools for your workplace toolbox, you're in the right place. Now, let's get after it. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Working Conversations podcast, where we talk all things leadership, business communication, and trends in organizational life. I'm your host, Dr. Janelle Anderson. Today on the podcast, we're doing something just a little bit different. You see, October is National Book Month. Every year for the last 20 years, October has been National Book Month. And this month-long celebration focuses on the importance of reading, writing, and literature. The National Book Award nominees come out in October, and there's just a lot going on around reading and literacy in the month of October. If you know me, you know that I am a voracious reader. I am always reading five or six books simultaneously and I keep getting asked what I'm reading. So today on the podcast, I'm going to tell you about the six books that I'm currently reading. They range in genre from biography to entrepreneurship to U.S. history to philosophy and self-help. And of course, there's some fiction thrown in for good measure. I always read at least a few pages of a novel every night before going to sleep. So today, I take you on the journey of what I'm reading, why I'm reading it, what I've learned from the book so far, and who, besides me, that I think it might be a good fit for. So let's get started. Very quickly, I will just run down the list of books I'm reading in no particular order. I'm reading 10X is Easier Than 2X by Dan Sullivan and Benjamin Hardy. I'm reading The Federalist Papers by Alexander Hamilton, James Madison, and John Jay. I'm reading Ikigai, The Japanese Secret to a Long and Happy Life by Hector Garcia and Frances Murales. I'm reading The EOS Life, How to Live Your Ideal Entrepreneurial Life by Gino Wickman. I'm reading Alexander Hamlin, The Biography by Ron Cherno. And I'm reading I Used to Be Fun by Melanie Summers. Now, I've linked all of these books up in the show notes so that they're easy to follow up on in the event that you are inspired to read any of them. You can find the show notes at janelleanderson.com forward slash 133. And that's because this is episode 133, janelleanderson.com forward slash 133. Now, first of all, I have to address the idea that I read a number of books at the same time. It drives my husband crazy. He does not know how I can keep track of what's going on in each book in my head at the same time. Now, I think the secret to this is that I'm reading books of entirely different genres at the same time. I think if I was reading two different novels at the same time, then things might get a little bit muddy or it might be harder to keep track of what's happening in which book. But with these books, all of them are different genres and I'm interested in them for very, very different reasons. And you'll hear all of that as I explain each of the books. And if you're following along on YouTube, I'll be holding up the books and talking about them as I talk about each one. So let's start off with the first one, Alexander Hamilton by Ron Chernow. So why am I reading this book? Well, 
back in May of this year, so what is that, about six months ago, five, six months ago, I saw Hamilton the Musical with my very, very, very dear BFF, Heidi, and we saw it here in Minneapolis, and we were just enamored. Now, I also have to explain a little bit of the backstory here. Um, Heidi came with me when I was doing a speaking engagement last fall, so almost a full year ago, and that speaking engagement was in Baltimore. And Heidi and I met up first in Washington, D.C. and had a couple of days together doing the tourist and historical sites in Washington, D.C. And we happened to walk through the National Gallery of U.S. Presidents. And so it starts with George Washington and it is the official portrait of George Washington. And then it goes to the next president, the next president and so on. And so we walked through that gallery and it was just a rush of United States history coming back to us. And some of it we just like were a little fuzzy on. And that was actually what inspired us to want to go see Hamilton. So when we got back to our hotel room after going through the National Gallery, looking at all those presidents, we were like, well, let's watch Hamilton. In fact, we watched it on Disney Plus that night in our hotel room and then booked tickets for when it was coming to Minneapolis. Now, Heidi lives in Colorado, so she flew into Minneapolis to see the show with me. But we were just hooked. We were hooked on American history, hooked on the life of Alexander Hamilton. And so after watching Alexander Ham Hamilton, the, the musical, we got to just talking more and more about U.S. history. And Heidi recommended the book, My Dear Hamilton, which is a novel of Eliza Schuyler Hamilton, that would be Alexander Hamilton's wife. And it is a piece of historical fiction. And so Heidi read that and she told me about it. And then I read that. And then I wanted to know what was true from that book and what was not true from that book? Where were the historical parts? Now, the authors of that book, and I'll link that one up in the show notes too, but the authors of My Dear Hamilton were very clear at the end of the book. Here's where we had to fill in some gaps where there just weren't enough letters or accounts of what was going on in Eliza Schuyler Hamilton's life where we just had to make up stuff. And they explained their philosophy about why they made the decisions they did and, and everything. But I just got really curious and I wanted to know more about not only Eliza Hamilton, but also Alexander Hamilton, because the two-hour, three-hour musical can only cover so much. So I wanted to know more about his life. So that's why I'm reading Alexander Hamilton by Ron Cherno. And I'm, in fact, listening to it on Audible. I like to listen to books while I'm walking or while I'm on long drives. I'll say a little bit more about that in a second. But let me tell you what I'm learning from this book. Now, I had forgotten so much of American history that I learned in high school. And through this book, it's coming back to me. Now, when we celebrate Independence Day every 4th of July, it doesn't land that it took eight years of incredible fighting to get our independence from the British. I think we just collapsed that into like, oh, it must have happened in a weekend. But yeah, it took eight years of fighting the British to actually get our independence. So while we did the, you know, the, while the Declaration of Independence was signed in 1776, it was eight more years of fighting. Now, What's also really interesting is this puts so much of what's happening in current events in the United States in a historical context. So the United U.S. political scene is pretty messed up right now. Just yesterday, as I'm recording this, um, I'm recording this a, a good solid week and a half or so before it will go live. But just yesterday, the Speaker of the House in the United States uh, House of Representatives, who is third in command behind the president and the vice president, was just ousted. <laughs> so when, you know, and, that, and that's just like unprecedented. That's never happened before. But when you read about what's going on in 
early United States history and political scene, it puts all of this in perspective and really not that much has changed. It's still pretty wild. Although they aren't like literally killing each other anymore. And spoiler alert, Alexander Hamilton was killed in 1804 in a gun duel with Aaron Burr, who was at the time the vice president of the United States. He got shot by the vice president. So, I mean, seriously, how messed up is that? Granted, we're not quite uh, shooting each other anymore, but it just puts in perspective the things that seem just really like out there with all the political infighting, even sometimes within the same parties here in the United States, which is what's happening now. When you look at what was happening back in the formative years of our democracy, you go like, oh, okay, not that much has changed. And it makes what's happening now not seem quite so outlandish. It actually puts it in perspective and it makes me think like this democracy is messy business and it's been messy since the start and it's okay that it's messy now. So it makes me a little bit less like upset or worried or concerned about what's happening in our country when I look back and say, oh yeah, this has been happening since the formative years. Now, also, I mentioned I'm listening to it when I walk the dog or sometimes when I take long drives. Like, in fact, this afternoon, I have to, I'm have to. i driving to a client site, um, which is two and a half hours away for a speech I'm giving tomorrow. And sometimes as I'm listening, you know, when I'm walking the dog, folding laundry, doing dishes, or sometimes on a long drive, it really gives me the space to focus on listening. I don't think I could just sit in a chair and listen to an audiobook. I have to also be doing something else. But even still, sometimes I have to back up and replay parts because I'm sure that I've misheard something. Like the other day, while I was listening to this book, Alexander Hamilton, and the author, Ron Chernow, said that George Washington owned over 100 slaves. And I was like, wait, what? And I had to back it up and listen to that section again. And then I was like, oh, that's right. I actually remember hearing that or learning that when I was in high school, but I'd forgotten that. And for the record, Alexander Hamilton was an abolitionist and wanted the institution of slavery banished. So he, for the most part, was not a slave owner, did not believe in owning slaves. There is some potential record that he had purchased a slave for somebody else. But on the whole, he was an abolitionist. Now, back to the book, Alexander Hamilton, and why I would or who I would recommend it for. I would recommend it for anyone who's seen the musical Hamilton and wants to know more, wants to know more about like what was really happening, what was some of the the things that maybe you missed because there's a lot that happens in that musical. So it's really good for somebody who saw the musical, liked the musical, and wants to go deeper. It's also really good for anyone whose U.S. history has gotten dusty like mine because your U.S. history class was a long, long time ago. All right, so that's the first book I'm reading. Now, the second book I'm reading, I can hold up here because it is The Federalist Papers. The Federalist Papers were written by Alexander Hamilton, James Madison, and John Jay. And why I'm reading The Federalist Papers, again, it goes back to the musical, but especially in the historical fiction book that I mentioned, My Dear Hamilton, about Eliza Hamilton's life, it portrayed these three authors uh, sitting around the kitchen table late into the night writing these persuasive essays that were then published in the newspaper. And so I got curious about what it was they were writing. And I don't think I was ever assigned the Federalist Papers or any segments of it in high school or college. So what I'm learning, well, the Federalist Papers, first of all, were written between October 1787 and August 17. 
88. So in that mm, close to one year period or 10 month period, and these are persuasive essays that are trying to influence the people of New York State that the 13 colonies would be better off together. So get this, the Declaration of Independence has already been signed and we're fighting against Britain at the time of them writing this. But some of the colonies thought that they would be better off as independent countries or their own states that had complete autonomy, not that they would be together a nation. Maybe they would be four nations. Maybe they would, all 13 colonies would be their own. So Alexander Hamilton, James Madison, and John Jay put pen to paper to really make a case for our nation to be organized the way it is. And they do this through this series of essays that are basically anonymous, although people started to figure out who was behind them, but they got published in the local newspapers in New York. Now, they were specifically writing this for the New York audience because New York was one of the states that was not on board with the idea of all 13 colonies being a nation. And so it was very much directed specifically at the people of New York and the New York legislators to help make the case for them. Now, the writing is not as easy and accessible as most of us write today. I have to read much of the Federalist Papers out loud to really have it sink in and to really like get it. And let me just find some glasses here and read you a passage from the Federalist Papers. So here we go. This is from Federalist Paper number two, concerning the dangers from foreign force and influence. And this one is written by John Jay. And he says, to general purposes, we have uniformly been one people, each individual citizen everywhere, enjoining the same national rights, privileges, and protection. As a nation, we have made peace and war. As a nation, we have vanquished our common enemies. As a nation, we have formed alliances and made treaties and entered into various compacts and conventions with foreign states. So that was two sentences, two very long sentences. And and there's a certain rhythm to it when you read it out loud. There is a certain structure to the writing that is just, it is not necessarily how we write today. So I'm enjoying it for a multitude of reasons. I think it's making me a better writer as a result, I think it's making me a better speaker as a result. Um, so who I would recommend this for? Anyone who is geeking out on U.S. history and really wants to understand how this messy, beautiful democracy came to be and what the alternative might have looked like if the country hadn't aligned as one nation back then. Because the authors definitely make the case for if we don't come together, here's what could happen in terms of national security, in terms of infighting amongst the states and so forth. So I highly recommend it for people who want to understand how this messy nation came to be. I also recommend it for writers and my fellow speakers because the language is poetic at times and it really does inspire me to be a better writer and a better orator. So that is The Federalist Papers. The third book I'm reading is Ikigai, The Japanese Secret to a Long and Happy Life by Hector Garcia and Francis Morales. So why am I reading this? Well, I always like to be reading something in the philosophy or self-help category. And last year, I read about Hugo, the Danish art of coziness. And for similar reasons, this book caught my attention. I'm generally interested 
in leading a higher quality of life and always improving upon what I'm doing in my life. And as I look towards how I can elevate my own life, making it richer, more full, but not more busy for sure, and how I can simplify things so that there is time to enjoy life more, I'm always looking to take in other philosophical perspectives besides this American sort of busyness, hustle kind of culture to figure out ways to slow down and elevate my quality of life. Now, this book is not a self-help book per se. It's more of an ex explanation of the philosophy of Ikigai. And in fact, here I'm getting into what I'm learning. So again, it's more of an explanation of the philosophy of Ikigai and some relatively easy steps that you can take to integrate it into your own life. So Ikigai itself, the term, means having a reason to live. So it addresses the question, what is your purpose in life and in living? And when you get clear on that, as it turns out, and as the research in this book shows, because it's not just a philosophical book, it's also supported with lots of interesting research about blue zones where people live longer and so forth. But when you get clear on that, as again, their research and their argument makes the case for, you will have a longer, happier life. So that's the premise of the book, and it is certainly a premise that I believe in. And along the way, they share specific practices for anti-aging, neuroscience practices on how to keep your brain healthy, and so forth. Now, I'm in my mid-50s, and I feel like I'm in excellent health. I haven't given a lot of thought to slowing down the aging process or living to be 100 or more. But this book gives me a foothold into thinking about what the future in this particular bod pod might look like uh, if I'm walking around in my 90s or maybe even in my early 100s and what I might do in the present moment to nurture it and treat it well so that if and when I do live to be twice as old as I am now, how I might have a higher quality of life then. Now, while I wouldn't say I found anything totally revolutionary in this book, I have certainly been reminded in new ways to be good to myself. The biggest area for me to take better care of myself is my stress level. I expect a lot of myself and from others in my world, whether that be my work, uh, my family, my personal relationships, and I would do my whole self good by dialing down the pressure and stress that I create for myself. So who would I recommend this book for? Anyone who is interested in the blue zones, the areas of the world where people live longer, and anyone who is looking for some easy to implement tips that will make them healthier and happier. And certainly also anyone who might be struggling with that question of what is my purpose in life? Now, I'm very clear on my purpose in life and the work that I do and how I manifest that and bring that work to the world, but I know that a lot of people aren't, and so I would definitely recommend this book for you as well if you're in that category. This episode is made possible by Instacart. If you haven't already started using Instacart, now is the time, my friend. Now, I'm the first one to say that I actually enjoy a trip to the grocery store. I really do. But you know what I like doing even better? Making this podcast. When I was deep in the development of this podcast, outlining and recording the first few episodes, my kids reminded me that they needed to eat. Instacart to the rescue. In absolutely record time, Magnolia, my Instacart shopper that day, delivered chicken nuggets, milk, avocados, fresh berries, and a host of other groceries we needed. When life gets busy, or when you just want to feel like royalty and have someone do it for you, there's Instacart. Get $10 off your first order when you sign up at workingconversations.com forward slash Instacart. Now, 
back to the show. The next book that I'm reading is called The EOS Life, How to Live Your Ideal Entrepreneurial Life by Gino Wickman. And here I'm holding it up on the YouTube video. And why am I reading this book? Well, I am a long, long fan of Gino Wickman. He wrote the book Traction, which provides a blueprint for entrepreneurial for entrepreneurial folks like me to create goals and really organize our lives so that we have some marching orders. And I and many of my speaker colleagues and other entrepreneur friends who are in other businesses absolutely follow traction like our business Bible. And so this book is a follow-up to traction. So traction is, e and EOS stands for Entrepreneurial Operating System. And in the book, Traction, Gino Wickman describes the entrepreneurial operating system. And again, that is the processes by which I and many of my speaker friends and other entrepreneur friends have organized our business. And this book talks about not necessarily that entrepreneurial operating system per se, but it talks about how to live an amazing life as an entrepreneur. So outside, really outside of your business. So what I'm learning from this book is it follows along nicely with Ikigai. So it's more about the lifestyle of being an entrepreneur, especially after you're past the startup years where you really have to grind and hustle. And, you know, read Traction if you're in the early days of starting up your business and you need to grind and hustle. But pick up this book when you have a sustainable business idea that you're executing on and making a decent living from it. Because this book is not on how to improve your business or how to grow your business as much as it is a book on how to improve your life. Uh, with chapters called Doing What You Love and being with people you love and having time for other passions and living your ideal life, this book really is about making sure you're having a satisfying life all around. So who would I recommend this for? And the other thing about this book is it's a really easy and fun read. It doesn't take long at all. In fact, I read the first half of it in a lounge chair in my swimming pool. Um, so it's it's easy. It doesn't take a lot of focus. It's a fast read. So who would I recommend this for? Well, I would recommend this for anyone who has achieved a certain measure of success in their life, whether they're an entrepreneur or in a traditional business setting or in a traditional career path like teaching or nursing or working in a nonprofit. This book will serve as a good reminder that there is more to your scorecard than just your career. If you have the career all figured out, this book will help you make sure that the rest of your life is just as satisfying and maybe even more so. So I don't just recommend this book for entrepreneurs. I recommend this book for anyone whose career is on a good trajectory and really wants to make sure the rest of their life is amazing as well. All right, book number five, we're working our way into the entrepreneurial spirit. So book number five is Why 10X, or it's just called 10X is Easier Than 2X by Dan Sullivan and Benjamin Hardy. So why am I reading this book? Well, somebody in my mastermind, and if you're listening, you'll know who you are. Somebody in my mastermind was reading this and I got curious about it. And if you're not familiar with the term mastermind, it's a group of people who challenge each other and hold each other accountable, often in an entrepreneurial or business setting, but it could be in your personal life as well. So I am in a mastermind of other speakers, and as one of them mentioned this book, I became intrigued with the book, 
after it was mentioned and I followed up on it and bought myself a copy of it. So what I am learning, well, this book is another take on having an impossible goal or having a big, hairy, audacious goal uh, or a BHAG, a term coined by Jim Collins. He wrote about it in 1994 in his book, Built to Last, about having this big, almost unachievable goal. And it's also been referred to as an impossible goal. But the twist in this book is making the case that if you were to try to double your business, that's the 2x, you would most likely hustle more and do more of what you're currently doing. And doing more of the same is likely to exhaust you and only give you incremental improvements. In fact, they make a pretty strong case for if you just did more of what you're currently doing, you probably would not double your business. You might find a 10% gain or a 15% gain, but you probably wouldn't double it. If you were doing a little bit more, or if a little bit more was easy for you to do, you probably were, would already be doing that. Again, doing a little bit more or doubling down on what you're doing currently is likely to exhaust you and only give you those incremental improvements. And they also make the case, and I, I loved this, that there are nearly an infinite number of ways to do more of what you're currently doing and to have that incremental growth. And then when you have all of those different ways in which you might find that incremental growth, you can get into analysis paralysis about which one of them you should choose because there's this infinite number of, of ways you could go about it. But if you really want to grow your business, you need to completely think differently. If you were going to grow your business to be 10 times its current size or 10 times more profitable or 10 times anything, you couldn't get there by just hustling more and doing more of the same. You really do have to have some dramatically different ideas, and there would be far fewer of them to choose from, far fewer of them that would realistically be able to be something that you could implement and could 10x your business. So then you get more discriminating if you only have a handful of ideas to choose from to implement one of those ideas that's really going to make a profound difference in the profitability of your business or in the number of people you employ or in the audience that you reach or in the number of widgets that you sell. It doesn't really matter what it is that you're doing. Any kind of business could benefit from this type of thinking. And really, as I get into who I would recommend this for, I think that someone who's looking for massive growth or change, and it certainly could be in a corporate or a nonprofit role, as well as somebody who is an entrepreneur. So if you're taking a new product to market and you wanted to reach a much broader market with it, you could absolutely read this book and think about how could I use some of the ideas in this book in my corporate role, taking a new product to market to reach a much, much bigger audience. Or if you're in a nonprofit role and you're doing some fundraising with your donors, you could definitely benefit from this book and thinking about how could I dramatically increase the way we are raising money for our nonprofit. And of course, in entrepreneurship, you could completely benefit from this in terms of if you're ready for growth. I mean, if you're an entrepreneur and you're not ready for growth, let's say you're in the grind and hustle phase and you're still all making it work. Mm, nope, I don't know if this book is for you. I think you should wait till you have some stability. And then when you're ready for that next incremental growth, then this would be a good time to pick it up. Now, you could also apply it to any other part of your life too. You could apply it to parenting or weight loss or your golf game. In fact, in the book, the author talks about, one of the authors talks about his, and this is a good example of the book, uh, or of the premise of the book. His, he talks about his son wanting to play tennis at the college level. And so he was a tennis player in high school, and the son's thinking about 
playing tennis at the college level and what would it take to actually be good enough to make the college team or to perhaps get recruited on a college scholarship for tennis. But to apply 10x thinking to that, the question then became, what if he thought about going pro? What would you do if you were trying to prepare for going pro as opposed to making a college team? So in terms of thinking about what kind of coaching you're getting, how many hours a day you might be practicing and so forth, it totally changes the strategies that you would put in place. And there's far fewer coaches that you might employ in order to prepare you for the pro circuit compared to getting on a college team. Now, you still might not make it pro, but you'd probably for sure get on a college team. So it's kind of like a shoot for the moon and still land in the stars philosophy. All right, the last book I'm reading is I Used to Be Fun by Melanie Summers. Now, why am I reading I Used to Be Fun by Melanie Summers? Well, I always have a novel going. Before bed, I read a few, at least a few pages, maybe more, on my Kindle paperweight every night. Now, this little device is a godsend. I'm holding it up on the YouTube video. I will put a link to it in the show notes as well. But it is a godsend. I can carry with me when I travel a bajillion books. Uh, nonfiction, fiction, historical fiction, uh, whatever it is I'm reading, I can I can get them all on here. I always am reading a novel on there at night before I go to bed. There is something about the Kindle Paperwhite screen that it does not tax my eyes before sleep. I don't think it emits the same kind of light that you would need to wear the blue light glasses for. It's a very easy on the eyes screen and I can dial down the brightness. If my spouse is already asleep, I can dial down the brightness so that I'm not uh, keeping him awake with the lights and I don't need to have a lamp on either. So I love that device. Love that device. Um, now why this book? Well, it just happened to be one that was suggested to me in the Kindle app after I finished the last book I was reading. I'm usually reading a book where the main character is my demographic, uh, woman at the prime of her career. It's usually a woman who has a career, has a family, not always has a family, but there's, and then there's usually some, some humor and some relationship drama and some work drama and all that kind of stuff going on. And definitely this book has all of that. And I tend to learn if, if the novel is well-written, I tend to learn a lot from the character, the main character's development. And I'm learning a lot about myself through this main character's development. So here's what I'm learning. Now, this main character, she has a lot of plate spinning. She is taking care of a lot. Uh, she's doing a lot of caretaking for her family, really to the detriment of taking care of herself. So I can learn from that. <laughs> she's got some serious melee and dissatisfaction with her whole life, which I don't necessarily have. Um, but she gave up law school to start a family many, many years ago, and she's struggling to find her footing now as her children are late in their teens and they don't need as much from her anymore. And so she's trying to figure out what to do next. She, at the advice of her best friends, decides to seek out a therapist. And in this one hilarious scene where she's going to see this therapist for the very first time and she's flustered a little bit because she's uncomfortable going to see the therapist and she's running late as she gets there, she accidentally goes into not the therapist's office, but the office next door where the person there who's actually an attorney is expecting somebody for a job interview. So this attorney is expecting her to come in for a job interview. She thinks she's at the therapist's office and she unloads a whole bunch of things that would be considered completely inappropriate in a job interview to the attorney who thinks she's there for a job interview. So hilarity ensues and it's just, it's a great scene. 
So what I'm learning about myself through her journey of finding her way back to who she used to be or who she will become next is, and again, I don't feel lost like she does. I've definitely found my calling in my career and I'm living it every day. But what I'm learning is that I do relate to her over caretaking of her family and her overly self-important sense of how much they need her. I definitely have that going on. Um, she's lost sight of who she wants to be and really who she was before and how much she willingly gave up to have a life that she really no longer fits in. So again, I don't have all of those same connections to the novel, but she does have this secret journal where she writes these entries about escaping her current life and creating this radically different life, usually in some exotic location. And I find those to be so relatable. I have them too, but I'm not typically moving across the world in mine. I'm just like escaping from my family and my whole life when it gets too busy for like a day or a weekend. Um, so what I'm learning is I can definitely take a lesson here about my own life and foster more independence among all of my family members so that I am not feeling the need to caretake them or over caretake them. It's okay for them to make me dinner once in a while. And the book is just simply fun. So who I would recommend this book for would be uh, women who enjoy a well-written, witty, and funny novel where the protagonist grows and shines and finds her way back to herself. Now, I'm only halfway through, but this genre typically ends with the, you know, the main character having some personal growth through hard lessons and typically ends with the main character in a new and better place emotionally and psychologically. And I'm fully expecting that this book will end up there. So there you have it, my friends. That is what is happening in my reading life right now. Those are the six books that I'm reading simultaneously. And again, they are linked up for you in the show notes at JanelleAnderson.com forward slash 133 for episode 133. I hope you take me up on these books and read one or more of them, and then you drop me a note and let me know how it went for you. As always, stay curious, stay informed, and stay ahead of the curve. Tune in next Monday. We will be back to our regular programming of insightful exploration of the trends that are shaping our professional world. Until then, my friends, be well. Thanks so much for listening. If you like what you're hearing on the podcast, head on over to Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts and give us five stars and a quick review. It really makes a difference and it keeps us bringing you valuable content that you can put into play in your life. I'm Dr. Janelle Anderson, and this is Working Conversations.